Let's turn now, friends, in our Bibles to um, the New Testament again, but this time in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> and we can read the seventh verse. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. This is Paul dealing with the uh, errant congregation in Corinth. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. And especially these words, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. <clears throat> Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We read in Exodus chapter 12 of the first Passover ever in the experience of the children of Israel. And that Passover marked the end of their years of slavery in Egypt. Now, when slavery was abolished in the Western world in the 1800s, it was considered to be an act of human kindness, a human right, if you like. But when God commanded Pharaoh to release the children of Israel from their slavery and bondage, he gave them two reasons why he must do this. First of all, they had to be released. Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And then he said to him, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Now, in a strange kind of way, my friends, that runs parallel to what we are doing here today. Because every born-again Christian, everyone is sitting here at the table today, we have been freed, have we not, from slavery to sin, freed from the power of Satan over our lives. And we've been freed in order that we may feast at the gospel table and at the sacrament table. But we have also been freed that we may serve God in this world, in the wilderness of this world. Now, these are only two of numerous parallels between the Old Testament Passover and our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you can see from this text, this was evidently how Paul's mind was working regarding these two events, the Old Testament Passover and the New Testament Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, when you think about it, of course, the entire 
Old Testament was preparatory work for the coming or in anticipation of the coming of the Lamb of God and the work that he would achieve and accomplish at Calvary, the ministry that he would establish. So isn't it a loss for all those people throughout the wider Christian church, and there are many of them, who see nothing in the Old Testament but a historical record of ethnic Israel. What a loss that they fail to see the typology of what developed in New Testament times. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire biblical record is a plan or a record of the plan of God redeeming his people. And people like yourselves becoming the sons and daughters of God in order that we might glorify him through serving him in this world through faith in the Lamb of God. So let's consider uh, this morning for a little while what is, to my mind, clearly implied by Paul in this text. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. I want to look at uh, two or three parallels between that first Old Testament Passover and Jesus Christ, our Passover. Both stories focus on lambs. The lamb in Egypt was taken, as we know, from the animal world, whereas the lamb of Calvary was taken from the very bosom of God himself. And as we shall see later, in the entire scheme of God's plan of salvation, there were actually four significant lambs. Four significant lambs, but I'll say more on that later on. Now, sadly, the children of Israel failed to appreciate that most of the Old Testament typology was indeed typology in anticipation of greater things to come. They missed it all. They could not see. They thought that what was set before them in types, shadows, and symbols were an end in themselves. But we should do far better than that because we have the light of the New Testament to help us see these matters clearly. Now, in Egypt, God told the children of Israel, we read this, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Not every individual, of course, but every household. And such would be the impact of all of this, this first Passover in, uh, in Egypt for the children of Israel, such would be the impact upon them that their entire calendar would reflect this. We read, this month shall be to you the beginning of months, the first month of the year. And God gave this month a special name. He called it Abib. No, we didn't read this. It's in the following chapter in Exodus 13. Uh, Abib. The name was changed later on in their history. But in the, in, in the beginning, 
the Passover was held in the month of Abib. Now, what is significant about that word is the meaning of it, because it means an ear of corn, that which grows out of the seed sown in the ground. Now, doesn't that reflect something of what Jesus himself said about himself, the true Passover lamb? John 12, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, a reflection of the Passover abib. So in this resurrection, he became this corn of spiritual wheat rising from the grave to sustain his people in time and throughout eternity. So our calendar, interestingly enough, was also adjusted in honor of the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. The seventh day became the first day of our week. Very significant, is it not? Meanwhile, in Egypt, a lamb was carefully chosen. It couldn't be just any lamb. It had to be a very carefully chosen lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish. A lamb without blemish. And for four days, they studied those lambs carefully, seeing if there was any blemish, any fault in the animal. What do we find? Well, the New Testament Passover lamb, he was examined, but far more meticulously, far more meticulously. The religious leaders examined, and oh, how they examined him. Pontius Pilate examined him. Satan examined him. Do you remember what he said about Satan? The prince of this world cometh but he findeth nothing in me. They searched, and they searched, and they searched again, but not one blemish could they find in the New Testament Passover lamb. Why not? Because he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Then came another parallel, the time for the slaying of the, of the Passover lamb. We read in Exodus 12, verse 6, it was to be slain, slain or killed in the evening. Now, in the original, if I were to transliterate the term used in that verse in Exodus 12, it would read, it was to be slain between the two evenings between the two evenings. You see, the Hebrews didn't use the term afternoon, the term that's so familiar to ourselves. After midday came early evening. Later came what we call late afternoon. So between those two evenings, on the Jewish clock, around the ninth 
hour, the Passover lamb had to be slain. Approximately 3 p.m. on our clock. So we're told in Matthew 27, verse 46, in the ninth hour, between the two evenings, Jesus cried. And he cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. His life on this earth had ended. These are astonishing parallels, my friends, between these two Passover lambs. No wonder Paul is saying here, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. But there's another parallel, a more significant parallel, and that involved the blood of those two lambs. In Egypt, the children of Israel had to gather the blood of the slain animal in a bowl. And they had to take a bunch of hyssop, we're told, dip it in the blood, and then strike it on the doorposts of the home and on the lintel above the door. That was followed by this. Stay inside. After the sprinkling of the blood, they had to go inside and they had to remain inside because that was to be the place of security for them. On the stroke of midnight, just as God promised, the angel known as the destroyer was dispatched on his awful mission of judgment. And from door to door he went throughout the entire span of the nation of Egypt. Oh, my friends, how many people died in Egypt that awful night. From door to door he went. His mission was to kill. His speed was like lightning and his aim was deadly. But when he came to the northeastern corner of Egypt, in the place known as Goshen, where the Lord's people were living, he hesitated. He stopped. Because the blood wouldn't let him go any further. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And all of the Lord's people, all of the children of Israel, under that blood, were spared the awful destruction of the angel of death, the destroyer. Do you think about that? Do you think about Egypt, that awful night? Think about the contrast between the entire span of Egypt and that tiny little corner up in the northeast. Think of the wailing and the mourning and the crying and the pain because of the death of the firstborn. 
contrast that with Goshen, where there was peace and safety and security to everyone under the blood, under the blood. I want to bring the attention to those who are sitting beyond the linen cloth here. I want you to think deeply about this. There is a Goshen and there is Egypt. There is a division between these two places. In one place there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. In the other place, there is safety and peace and security because of the blood. Beyond that linen cloth, my friends, you're totally exposed to the destroyer. It is only when you come inside the linen cloth, when you come inside the fellowship of God's people at the table of the Lord, when you're born again of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, only then will you ever be safe and delivered from the destroyer, from the pain and from the gnashing of teeth that will be the lot and portion of those who don't believe in Christ. Well, here's Paul writing to a church that in many ways were grossly backslidden. They had fallen victim to the old leaven of sin and iniquity. And he's saying to them, the only way that you can escape the awful wrath of God is to be under the shed blood of the Passover lamb, the New Testament Passover lamb. Not an animal, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that the meaning, my friends, of what we are doing here today? The symbolic elements that will shortly be placed in your hands by the elders. These elements were taken by Jesus from the Passover table in the upper room that night. And what he did by taking those elements, and you are to imagine this, when he lifted that bread off the table, when he took that wine off the table, he was transfer transferring the meaning of those things to become his own broken body and shed blood at Calvary so that you could rejoice this morning in the knowledge that you are sitting here under the blood, under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So that Passover was never really about animal sacrifice. It was never really about the sprinkling of animal blood. Its true meaning was brought out by Jesus in the upper room. This cup we read in Luke 22, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And then mercifully he added this, which is shed for you, for you. So when that cup of wine is placed in your hand this morning, you remember what it symbolizes. You remember what it cost your Savior 
to pardon your sins. So it's infinitely more important for us that we shelter under that shed blood and remain under it than it was for the children of Israel in Egypt to be under the sprinkled blood. Let me move on to look at the New Testament Passover lamb. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. When this subject is studied carefully, there are four jigsaw portions of Scripture which we have to pull together and fit together so that we can see the full orb picture of the gospel. The first portion of the jigsaw is the Passover in Egypt, because this provides the background for what we're doing here today, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It was always designed that way. It was always designed that way. Even if no one understood that for 1,500 years till Jesus entered that upper room, they never, they thought that the Passover was an end in itself. And to this day, to Jewish people, that's all the Passover is. It was an event in their history. But God knew that wasn't true. Jesus knew that wasn't true. The Passover was never meant to be an end in itself. Hence the significance of his words we read in Luke 22. When he entered that room, gathered with his disciples at the Passover table. Do you remember what he said? With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Literally, it says, with burning desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Now think about this. It indicates to us his mindset as he grew up in Israel, year after year, since his mind could comprehend religious rituals, he knew that every Passover that he attended with his parents, with his earthly parents, he knew that every Passover was a thing of anticipation, a thing of anticipation. And as he matured and grew and his mind developed in wisdom and knowledge, he knew that the symbolism, nobody else saw, they thought it was an end in itself, but he saw it as symbolism. And he knew the symbolism had to give way eventually to reality. In other words, he knew the time had to come. When the Passover lamb would not be an animal taken from the animal kingdom. When the sprinkled blood would have to be his own. He understood that long before he went into the upper room. With desire. We could read into that. With desire, I have desired to do away with that symbolism. To show you what this is all about, really and truly. Meanwhile, the second portion of this jigsaw was established when Moses introduced the festivals and rites and ceremonies into a religious calendar 
if I can put it that way, for the benefit of Israel. Six months after the Passover was established in Egypt, Moses, under divine inspiration, introduced what we now call the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And on that day, two lambs were taken to the temple. Uh, this was to demonstrate the uh, various aspects of salvation inherent to the death of Christ. One of these lambs was sacrificed, and his blood was taken by the high priest into the Holy of Holies and was sprinkled over the mercy seat. The other animal had the sins of Israel confessed over its head, and it was then led into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Now, for the duration of the Old Testament, these two significant festivals, as they used to refer to them, they were six months apart, the Passover and the Day of Atonement. Now, both these rituals had a direct bearing on the death of Jesus Christ. And I'll explain more of that shortly. I want to look now at the third portion of the jigsaw. This is in a declaration made by John the Baptist that famous day in the vicinity of the River Jordan. As he watched Jesus coming back from the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan, and he made that famous declaration in John 1.28, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, John made that declaration not merely when he saw Jesus approaching, coming from the wilderness, but he was seeing Jesus in a peculiar light. He was seeing him as the conqueror. He was seeing him as the one who was victorious over Satan and the powers of Satan during those 40 days in the wilderness. And now, and only now, is he ready to undertake the mission for your salvation and for mine? Now, the question is, and the question is often asked in the Christian church in all ages, which lamb was John referring to? Behold the Lamb of God. Some say he had the Passover lamb in mind. Others suggest, no, he had the lamb on the Day of Atonement in mind. So which is the right answer? Well, strangely enough, both of them are right. Because in John's mind, it wasn't either or. It was both occasions. Both events brought together where the death of Jesus is depicted and typified in all its various dimensions. And we haven't understood the cross properly if we don't see a multiplicity of achievement by your Savior, when he laid down his life for his people. So when he entered that upper room on that night, with sovereign authority, he brought the Passover 
and the day of atonement together. Those things that were six months apart, he brings them together and he presents them to the church and to the world indeed as one. As one. And the fourth portion of the jigsaw is in this text. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now here, Paul is confirming to us it wasn't coincidence that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the time of Passover. It wasn't happenstance that bread and wine were on that table to be used conveniently by Jesus. Everything, my friends, every detail, every iota was carefully, meticulously planned by your Father in heaven. Everything. And the amazing thing is that it took 1,500 years for the Passover to find its true meaning. 1,500 years. So as we prepare this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, let's think about the way God went about planning this occasion for us. The attention God paid to the details of this sacrament. When the bread and the wine are set before you here this morning, try to appreciate the incredible vision that God had, even at the dawn of history, even in eternity, the incredible vision that he had, especially when he established that first Passover in Egypt. That's three and a half thousand years ago. He knew that significant as the Passover lamb was that night in Egypt, it was still just a time. It was just a shadow, just a symbol. And he knew it wouldn't find its fullest and truest expression for centuries, for centuries. Yet, this is the marvelous thing. He preserved it intact through all the ups and downs of Israel's history, and there were many ups and downs. But emerging out of it all after 1,500 years was the Passover. And not merely did he preserve it till Jesus entered that upper room. Oh, God's vision went way beyond that. This determination can still be seen in the history of the church following biblical times. The Lord's Supper began to go astray here in Corinth, as we know from chapter 11. Slowly it went further and further astray. It was relatively biblical up until maybe the time of Augustine, and that's, I think, stretching it. But after that, Stonehill all the way, totally 
abused and misused by the Roman Catholic Church. What happened then? God's preservation of the Lord's Supper came back into light, back into view. It survived even that period of time. If it's Augustine time, 500 AD to 1500 to the Reformation, a thousand years of total and utter abuse, and yet it emerged intact for your benefit and mine so that we could sit here this morning and enjoy the Lord's Supper as it is set before us in the Scriptures. Shortly, you are going to handle those elements which Jesus took off that Passover table. Bread and wine. Oh, let's try and appreciate, my friends. Let's try and appreciate the words that accompany those elements. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you. Please, 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 see more than bread and more than why when it comes into your hand. Shortly we shall see that God's vision for this went way beyond the Passover, way beyond even the Lord's Supper in the church, way beyond time and geography, but we'll come to that shortly at the table. Let me move thirdly and try to be brief for this. Two crucial aspects missing from that first Passover. And these two elements came to light in the experience of the true Passover lamb. The first of these was suffering. Suffering. Despite all those animals, and there would have been countless hundreds of thousands, if not millions, over the Old Testament era, despite them all being killed or slain or slaughtered, that's the kind of language they used, nevertheless, they suffered no more than animal suffering. They suffered no more than animal suffering. But animal suffering, my friends, should not be confused with human suffering. And perhaps that's more important today than ever because of the place given to animals and pets, members of one's family. Animal suffering should not be confused with human suffering. And then human suffering should not be confused with the sufferings of our Lord. His sufferings were unique to himself because of who he was. He suffered, my friends, as no one else suffered before or since. And his suffering were a, a direct consequence of being your substitute lamb. 
as he went through the agonies of Gethsemane and as he hung on the cross of Calvary. Abraham's substitute lamb on Mount Moriah didn't say to Isaac, I will suffer instead of you. I will die instead of you. No, but that's exactly what our substitute lamb is declaring to us in the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken for you. His suffering, my friends, was unique or were unique. We cannot make them singular. They have to be plural. There is one place in the Bible where he highlights the uniqueness of his sufferings. You'll find it in words used by that weeping prophet of Jerusalem in Lamentations chapter 1 where we hear the prophet crying out. And these are words coming to him from Messiah. Is there any suffering like unto my suffering? That's a rhetorical question. No one ever suffered the way Jesus Christ suffered. Is there any suffering like unto my suffering? And then he adds, wherewith the Lord afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. In other words, these men, with their cruelty, they didn't really make me suffer. That wasn't suffering. Putting a crown of thorns on my head, that wasn't suffering. Putting nails in my hands and my feet, that wasn't really suffering. The suffering the Lord afflicted me with in the day of his fierce anger. That was suffering, my friends. That was suffering. By the time the darkness fell in Calvary, where nobody could see that affliction of his soul, his pain, somebody put it this way, his pain went off the scale went off the scale. I think that's what he's trying to describe for us in the song we were singing a moment ago in Psalm 69. I downward in deep mire to sink, were standing, there is none. Out of sight, into the depths of that awful pity went. And it's from there that we hear the cry of his suffering, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. Meanwhile, this second crucial aspect missing from the Old Testament Passover lamb was offering. Suffering and offering. You see, that lamb didn't really belong to the category of sacrificial lambs later established by Moses in Leviticus, or the Levitical uh, process of sacrificial animals. And even the Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb, he didn't strictly belong to that category either. You see, with all the Old Testament lambs, the killing was done to them. The killing was done to them. They were passive. They were passive. 
They played no part in their own death. Not so our Passover lamb. Not so our Passover lamb. Certainly it states here, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. But he wasn't passive. I don't know what people mean when they say that he was passive in his, in his sufferings and his death. He was not passive in his own death. In fact, he was never more active. Never more active as these texts demonstrate. Listen to them. Isaiah 53 verse 12. He poured out his soul unto death. He did it. Philippians 2 verse 8. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did it. Hebrews 9, 14, he offered himself without spot to God. Now this wonderful, amazing, incomparable Passover Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is set before us in word and in sacrament. And we rejoice in his words, don't we? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. But we can rejoice perhaps even more at the same promise given to the children of Israel all those years ago in Egypt still thrills our heart. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Does that not encourage you, my friends? Does that not give you a boost? That when the judgment comes our way, it's going to pass over us. So sitting at his sacrament table today, we are infinitely more blessed and infinitely more secure than the children of Israel were sheltering in their homes that night in Egypt. And let me finish with this. Their gratitude on that occasion was to the animal that died. But that gratitude was minuscule. And furthermore, it was soon forgotten. Our gratitude is to the New Testament Lamb of God. And our gratitude is written over our souls in his blood. Written over our souls in his blood. And furthermore, he doesn't want us ever to forget it. Do this in remembrance of me. And if we are doing that, my friends, in spirit and in truth, then we really can appreciate the words we were considering on Friday night. Behold, what manner of love is this? The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children or sons of God. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank Thee for being our Passover lamb. We thank Thee for the shelter afforded to us under the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary under the life that was forfeited. Grant, Lord, that we would worship and adore thee 
not merely on this occasion at the sacrament table, but constantly, that our entire lives would be an act of worship and adoration of our God. Keep us in thy fear, strengthen us in our faith, humble us under thy mighty hand, and help us to continue in our worship as we prepare now for the table of the Lord. For his name's sake, amen.